out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the uh, Leicester-based garage punk band. It is the one and only Crazy Head, because I recently spoke to their guitarist, keyboard player. It is the one and only Kev Reverb, or Kevin Bayless, who we, um, yes, caught up, talked about life, love, poetry, and all that other groovy stuff. So this is the interview. So after several minutes of uh, casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. I know, it's a classic. Anyway, look, Kev, tell us about your formative years. That's after I've told him about mine, which is the early 70s. You can guess who I like, David Bowie, etc. Anyway, Kev, it's over to you. Uh, uh, quite similar in a way. Uh, my first single was Blockbuster. Nice. Uh, and uh, also, Gary Glitch was into that. I had Rock and Roll Pops 1 and 2. I was into all that. Fantastic. And, uh, and I loved the... Uh, I went to the comeback sort of tours, the Gary Glitter stuff, before it all went horribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> that, was that was generally in the 80s, didn't it? I seem to remember people at work going, oh, we're going to see Gary Glitter for our Christmas get-together and treat. And it was like, oh, OK, then, that's nice. And they kept saying... And he, he originally played, like, uni- little universities, I say. Yeah, little. that's that's the first tour I saw. I saw him at Leicester University. And, and it was kind of... Uh, yeah, and it, and it was kind of uh, beautifully shabby. When he, you know, the first comeback sort of tours, you know, and he had, like, you know, it was a very... Ba- but great, great rock and roll sort of you know show. And then I saw a, a couple of years later when it started to get a bit of a, a bit more show busy, you know. But uh, it was quite rock and roll the first time I saw him. Yeah, the, the first comeback sort of thing. I did see him in the original, in the, uh, the original gigs. Oh, I always felt a bit. I did an interview with one of the members of the Glitter Band a couple of weeks ago because I often think you know the Glitter Band must be like God. We we recorded some of the most iconic music of. Well, definitely glam, but you know, and, and they're just brilliant songs, and yet they've kind of got a strange kind of career because um, Cherry Red Records has just put out a compilation of the Glitter Band's music. So um, I don't know who would buy it because without mm-hmm. Gary. But anyway, you know, they, they they created anthems, didn't they? That's the main thing. Mm. We uh, we did some re- uh, recording once. Uh, oh, what's the studio called? I can't remember. But uh, his son was the uh, studio manager. Oh, Gary, God. Gary's son, yeah. And that was before when things went wrong, obviously. But uh, <laughs> even then, he was saying he was, oh, he was a bit of a sad old, you know, he was a bit saying, uh, my sad old dad or something, you know, at the time, you know, but I guess he wasn't aware of what was going on. No, he probably wasn't, actually. There you go. No. Like lovely guy, lovely guy. His son's a lovely, lovely bloke. Yes, well, you know, you can't help what your dad gets up to, can you? So, and, no. um, and all that, and who knows? But anyway, look, that's kind of cool. So, well, so, so when you were sort of going through the seventies, did were you brought up in Leicester, the Leicester area? Yeah, uh, yeah, I did live it. Yeah, I lived in Leicester that time. Yeah, I mean, my dad was in the army, and I lived abroad when I was younger. But we came back, and uh, yeah, so in the seventies, I was living in Leicester. Yeah. Yes, and then when when did because um, did you have any sort of brothers or sisters who sort of introduced you to cool music, or were you sort of a, you know having to sort of just make it up as you went along? And what was On it? My like own really, a, yeah. What was it like <laughs> being a sort of a, a son of an army chap? Because my brother went in the army and he obviously went abroad here and there, and it was a bit strange really for him. But he was he wasn't in a marriage or relationship, so it wasn't too bad. But being a child of a army army life must have been a bit weird at times. Hmm. It was, yeah. I found it weird when I came back to England. I felt really uh, adrift because I'd missed out. You know, I didn't have relationships with, with people when I was growing up. That you know, I mean, a lot of people I knew had like grown up with the same people. Yes. So it's like start, you know, and uh, must have went to about four or five different schools by the time we came to Leicester, and then uh, yeah, stayed in Leicester. Yes. Well, and then what happened when you hit 16? Did you leave school? Uh, um, 17 or 18, I think, yeah. Right. Was that, was that still in the, the 70s when that all happened? I just wondered, did punk have an effect on your... Oh, yeah. Punk, rock, punk, punk was everything, yeah. Punk was, uh, you know, punk was everything. 
Yes, well, I was a bit too young for punk, but my my brother was a bit, seven years older and he was really into prog rock. So, well, you said sixty four. You, I'm, yeah, I'm fifty nine. Nineteen fifty nine. Right. Saying. So you've got five more years of sort of. So you were perfect for punk, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And that's the whole whole reason of, of like picking up a guitar. You know, the the confidence to pick up a guitar and because everybody else who was playing music at the same at that time were all uh, into prog rock and. Uh, you know, and uh, looking down with disdain on people that couldn't play properly. Yes. And uh, I couldn't play properly, and uh, it made no difference with punk rock, of course. So when did you first kind of have a try on the guitar? When did the guitar sort of appear in your life? Uh, I guess when... Uh, about 15 or 16, I think, yeah. Right, yes. And then sort of, you know, 79th... <clears throat> Thatcher gets in and in the 80s you know we have a huge amount of unemployment for sort of kids from the, the left to centre politically so a lot of the indie bands I've interviewed have, you know they were unemployed at that time and there was a job seekers allowance and enterprise allowance schemes and then the birth you know there was that post-punk period and then the Smiths came along 70, 83 which I always think is kind of quite a moment because then the independent charts become such a thing don't they and we have programs like the tube on telly and then john peel everyone loves i know he was going in the 70s and late 60s but they definitely felt like you know the the circulation of the nme and the melody making sounds it, it was like a bit of a golden time and in leicester you had the princess charlotte didn't you and we had like from mm. norwich we had the wonderful art center and the uea so um did did you sort of feel a bit of a wave of a musical enthusiasm during the 80s mm. yeah uh Yeah, I'm just trying to think uh, in terms of the Charlotte, the Charlotte. Yeah, the Charlotte was going there, definitely. Was it? Because I yeah. always remember John Peel talking about the, you know, the Harlow Square, you know, the Duchess in Leeds, something in Glasgow, Manchester, mm. and there was always the Princess Charlotte, and you always said, oh, yes, that must, that's probably a fantastic place. But, you know, if you went all the way there from Norwich, it's probably a bit underwhelming as well. But it's obviously where yeah. a lot of the indie bands went to. Yeah, it was a great place. I mean, uh, Andy, who rang, uh, he actually, I don't even know his second name, he became Andy Charlotte. Uh, he did have a pub before, and he was really enthusiastic about getting local bands on. And then he uh, took over the Charlotte, and then it became what it what it became. Yeah. Yes. So what? It's amazing the number of bands played there. I know it was and the same I mean the Norwich Arts Centre I mean every every sort of like town and city in the country had an alternative indie night didn't they or whatever in the 80s and probably into the 90s where you know mostly at the beginning of the week like Monday or Wednesday Tuesday etc and then you'd have three bands and when you look at those lineups now for sort of £2.50 to go and see them you just think mm -hmm. oh, we did have it might have been a bit of a grim time at you know during the 80s but we did have some good music so as as the 80s progressed what was your sort of um career and and sort of life changing and going towards what uh well, I think like most people, I was uh, on the dole, doing very, doing very little, messing around in bands. Uh, and then, well, uh, sort of crazy, I got together in 86. We were all on the dole. And uh, we all adopted uh, stupid names just to avoid being picked up by the dole, which <laughs> I think a lot of people did. <laughs> yes. Kev Reverb. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Kev Reverb, Fast Dick, Rob Vomit, <laughs> etc. Yeah, yeah. Yes, and did you? And was this the kind of the first kind of band that you were in that felt like it was a bit more serious than many previous bands? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd, me and the drummer had been in a band before, uh, which was just like playing locally, really. Then uh, I did actually you know, do a band called the Swinging Laurels group okay uh it was kind of a, a pop band uh mm. how to describe them I know. they had a kind of uh they'd already signed a deal when i played with them i played bass with them and uh basically i joined them in 84 or something 83 or 84 they were looking for a bass player and uh they had a tour lined up with uh, culture club so my first kind of proper band playing really was uh, uh supporting culture club nice what was this band called again 
the swinging laurels. Swinging laurels, got to have to. They, did you, uh, did you they, ever they, manage to get a, any album or singles done? They did, yeah. I mean, they were already, already recording the single before they were looking for a, a bass player to play live with them. And uh, so that was quite, it was quite funny for an audition. And uh, they said I was the worst bass player, but I'd fit in. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, about three or four months later, I was like doing this big tour with Cult Club. And they, I think the, the single at the time was Church of the Poison Mind or something. And, uh, right. So this and there's a link in, they had a link in with the uh, Culture Club because it was produced by the, the, their single called uh, Lonely Boy. It was recorded by uh, Steve Levine, uh, Culture Club's producer. Oh. And the original single actually had uh, Boy George uh, singing backing vocals on it, but uh, Virgin wouldn't allow it. Right. It was on a different label and uh, so... Uh, at the time, I think for them, if uh, if it had gone out, you know, with Boy George singing on it, it would have been a hit just because of the association. But uh, he was a uh, he was pulled from it at the last minute. Yes, well, around that time, I suppose Culture Club was sort of still kind of doing incredibly well, weren't they? Things hadn't got messy in the Culture Club camp, really, had they? Changed? Oh, they were huge at the time. Yeah, yeah. So, it was... so were you playing in front of ten thousand screaming teenagers? Yeah. Yeah, is that kind of thing? Yeah, <laughs> with uh, yeah, teenagers. Yeah, uh, they, that was the older ones. I think. That, yeah, <laughs> it was it was an amazing thing to see because it was it was like you know you can imagine what the Beatles would have been like. It was literally hundreds of screaming girls outside. I can remember us taking a flight case in, and me joking. And someone said, Who's, "What's in there?" And I said, "Boy George," and the, the uh, flight case got attacked. You know what I mean? Because it was seriously, <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, no climate. We played. I remember we played at the end. We played the Dominion, and that was like two dates at the Dominion at the end. And uh, they were literally climbing up the side of the walls, the drain pipes, trying to get into the building. Like, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah it was good. Yeah, it was, it was an interesting thing for me to do. The first kind of proper tour, you know. Yes. Well, absolutely. It's, it's it must be fantastic. So when in '86, you know, sort of Crazy Head sort of started. I mean, obviously, great year for music. C eighty six cassette came out. Were you hmm. kind of influenced by a few of those bands that that John Peel used to play, like Big Flame and Bogshed and Stump and bands like that, or was it more sort of bands from the sort of sixties and Captain Beefheart and and um, the Ramones and the Stooges? Yeah, the latter, really. Yeah, but I quite like some of the other bands. But probably for us, we probably considered it a little bit more fay. You know, I mean, we're a bit, bit, bit more rock and roll than. Some of the bands you mentioned, I do like some of them, definitely. I like the Shrubs, uh, I like Stump, we really like Stump. Yes, we loved Stump, didn't we, actually? And you yeah. managed to get sort of signed to Food Records really quickly, didn't you? Who Was that Andy Ross's label, wasn't it? He went on to do... Yeah, Andy, yeah, Andy Ross and David Balfe. David Balfe, yes, he's, he, he struck gold from going from indie world of Liverpool and Eric's to sort of food record mm, mm, mm. and then being name checked on a Blur song, which was quite impressive, really. Mm. <laughs> it's doing quite well for himself. So how did that sort of come about? Uh, well, we, we recorded a demo and we, we uh, sent it around and we, we had a bit of interest from in a few labels, but uh, do you know the Bomb Party? Heard yes. of the Bomb Party, yeah. So the Bomb Party are a Leicester band. And uh, they're all, we're all, those kind of bands like the Bomb Party, the Gay Bikers, we're all kind of friends, if you like. Yes. We all, all used to hang out together in the same sort of social circle. And uh, the Bomb Party had, had records out by then. And they were like the Godfathers, you know, they were kind of our big brothers. And they knew Andy Ross pretty well. And I think, I think there was some talk, but I don't think Balfour's all that interested in, in the Bomb Party. That's, a, uh, that's not gospel, I don't know for sure, but I think they were on the, the edge of doing a deal with them. But anyway, uh, the Bomb Party gave us, gave them our demo tape. And yeah, and then they came to, they Andy Ross organised a gig at the uh, Croydon Underground, uh, supporting Chelsea. Nice. Yeah, so the, and uh, he organised this gig for yeah for him to see us you know, and for our first London gig sort of thing. And he he was working, he had this thing because he was uh, with Food Records, but also writing for Sounds. 
So conveniently, he came to see us and reviewed it for sounds. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, he uh, he was inter- he was quite interested in us, so he gave us a, a really good review. And then he organised another gig for us at the uh, Time Box. That was a seminal place. I mean, the, you know, the uh, Bulling, Bush, Bulling Gate. Right, yes. So, uh, yeah, he, then he organised another gig at the, the Bulling Gate, uh, organised by, was it, John Beast? And oh, yes. Yeah. I've got Mike, is it Mike Mercer who's part of that whole world of... Well, he seems to have done books, and I've got yeah. a couple with about the Beast, and um, yes, that whole kind of all those clubs that they used to sort of put together, or he used to put together, which yeah, quite extraordinary, yeah. really. Yes, yeah, at the moment. Oh, oh, recently somebody, uh, uh, somebody on Facebook put like uh, uh, some gig listings from the uh, from the Bull and Gate, some and. Uh, that we were involved in. It's amazing to see the the bands that were playing at that time. You know, sometimes on the same night. Yes, yeah, incredible. Yeah. Yes. Well, I can see that in the last year during lockdown, a lot of people went and looked at their archives and started putting them up in here, there, and everywhere, almost on social media platforms. And uh, like you just said, and I sort of had the same thought of, my God, you know that that was just no wonder we went mm. so many gigs during that period because yeah. You know, it was quite a golden period. And, and then you looked at how much it cost, which was kind of very, very little. And you thought, mm. blimey. And that, so it was a great platform for bands to sort of, um, yeah, to get out there and do their thing for a bit before sort of probably going into the studio. Then sort of 87, it's a pretty big year for you because you get your singles out. But also that was your first Glastonbury Festival as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, or only Glastonbury Festival. Was it your only? But actually, that was my first Glastonbury Festival, so I've got great fond memories of yeah the festival. So, were you playing on the? Was it an independent chart with which was near the? Was it the Stonehenge or Carhenge? Really, I don't know. I don't know what the stage was called. I can't remember. Uh, It was kind of like the third. I don't. Was it like the third stage or something? I I know we played. We played on the same. The same night, it was us, Voice of the Beehive. Uh, Were the wooden tops playing? They always seem to be the wooden plot tops or um, another band which was called, not the Wolfhounds, one from Bristol, who always seemed to be there. There was the Chesterfields as well. They were a bit more Mm. jingly jangly. And the Blue Aeroplanes, I think they might have been around. I just remember there was a whole little kind of alternative yeah. stage scene, which, you know, had all those kind of indie bands in. Which was, Yeah. You know, I mean, the festival was quite, looking back at it, it was quite quite grim in a kind of slightly Mad Maxy kind of way. I seem to remember from various sites, because there was that whole gang from London who had the, um, there was Stonehenge, but made out of vehicles, wasn't there? I don't know if you can remember that. but it was, yeah. I was quite sort of amazed and surprised. And it was also it was all, a lot of people trying to sell drugs in, in a quite a upfront way, which I didn't yeah. cross before. It, it, it was, was a, yeah. Down, walking down the main street and the uh, walkway up to the end of the field, the, the, the stone circle hadn't actually been constructed and just having people all the, both sides just sort of shouting drugs in your name. Well, not drugs, yeah. but any type of drugs. Yeah, I think uh, your Mad Max comment is kind of seems quite. Yeah, I could go along with that. Yeah, it was a bit for us. It was more a bit Mad Max because I remember. Yeah, it was our first festival really, and uh, we got incredibly drunk waiting because we were late going on and it was raining. So by the time we came on, we're, we were pretty uh, we were pretty full on really, and uh, the s- stage got destroyed just about because. Uh, we were kind of, yeah, we were very hyper and tried to encourage the uh, some audience uh, interaction, which meant them all throwing mud and stuff. And the uh, stage got kind of like wrecked. And the guy who was managing the stage came back and kind of had a bit of a fight with us. But anyway, it's <laughs> sort of a bit, bit crazy. So it was Mad Max. It was Mad Max. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember thinking, you know, I remember having a good time, but also when I got back it, to the it was, it was raining. It was raining. Quite it, like was, it was, it was it? kind yeah. of cold and it was kind of quite yeah. from the few bad photographs I've got. And I just remember eventually getting on the Monday or whatever, getting back to the car, feeling like 
I'm not quite sure how I felt about the weekend thing. At times it was brilliant and sometimes it was hell. You know, it was like mm. very, you know, I was kind of relieved to eventually sort of be on the road and getting home and having a wash again. But it was a mm. strange one, really. Because you'd got your single, um, which was uh, What Gives You the Idea You're So Amazing, which got to number two in the indie charts, which must have been quite fantastic. You must yeah. have sell a lot of copies for that. Because at the time, the indie charts were, were very popular, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah, uh, first single. It was, yeah, it was all quite exciting. Yeah, and, uh, and the second one as well did really well. And then maybe Turpentine. Yeah, and then so yeah, you went in to do the first album, which was just a couple of years later, which is uh, Desert Orchid. Where was that? Uh, where did you record that? And who was the producer? Uh, we recorded that at the place called. The music station in Fulham. Don't know if it still exists. Yeah, so it was in Fulham. Uh, well, in the, the singles were kind of the first two singles were produced by David Balf to some extent, and then he wanted to work on a, the next single, which was uh, "Timeless Taking Its Toll on You." We did that, and then we uh, and then we carried on and did the rest of the album with the. The guy who was the engineer, this guy called Mark Freegard, who went on to work with, I think he did some, uh, began for Sisters of Mercy or something afterwards. He was, he was a really nice guy. I mean, the whole album thing was a bit weird for us, really, because uh, when we first talked to Food, we were really excited because we, we thought, oh, they're great because uh, it's an indie label that's got some clout and... We didn't want to, to be interfered with. We didn't want to be involved with a major label. There was a few major labels that were interested in signing us, but we thought, oh, food's great. It's an indie label. They're not going to try and pressure us to do it uh, any way different than we want to do. And uh, and that's what they they uh, they were uh, talking along the same lines. Then by the time we came to do the album, they'd uh, negotiated a, a deal with EMI. And so we kind of like got signed to a major label by the back door. Yes. And then, then everything changed. So uh, initially, uh, Food was sort of saying, oh, slowly, slowly, you know, we really believe in the band, we're really into it. And uh, yeah, it might take some time, but we'll build it up slowly, you know, just do your, do your own thing, which is what we wanted to hear. And they signed with it, then they, they signed with EMI. So we got signed, if you like, by the back door to EMI. And then it was like, right, we've got to have hits. We've got to have a, we've got to have a, you know, sell some units. And so things changed quite a lot very quickly. Right. On <laughs> mm. um, with with recording the album, did you was there songs you had to sort of go back and redo, or were there songs that they gave you to say, look, you're going to have to, we're going to have to have something which is going to chart? Because I, I sort of spoke to a few people who you know, when they presented the album, you know, to the, the company, you know, it was like, well, I can't hear a hit on this. You're going to have to go back and record something. Do a cover of something really popular, then we'll just release that as a single. And it's like, that's not what we're about. And it's like, we need to hear, you know, we need to hear something that's going to give us some, you know, clout here. So did you have that pressure for the the, the album? Desert yeah, Wars? yeah. Especially like on the, like the first single, Time Has Taken It's Tolling You, uh, 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 I worked out in the end, we spent some like 21 days doing it. And we got so dissociated from it, we, we kind of like, well, put it like this, by the time we'd finished recording it, the next gig we played, we couldn't play it because because we, we'd been messed around with such, such a lot. We couldn't play the track we just recorded. You know I mean? We had to relearn it. It was like learning the cover version. You know what I mean? Yes. So, and yeah. then you were you were doing some kind of major tours as well because you you toured with Iggy Pop during that period as well, didn't you? Yeah, we did. Well, just, before that, we uh, uh, which one came first? Uh, you had we did the Julian uh, Julian Cope. Yes, well, he was we did, with his trampoline, wasn't he? Yeah, around well, that time. Yeah, well, we, did, we did. Yeah, that tour. Yeah, we did that tour with him. Yeah, which was. Brilliant. And we also did uh, a third or third in a bit of the uh, the Court Electric Tour as well. We did oh that. Oh, God, she sells Sanctuary. So was that kind of also quite 
committed by the audience because they were quite godlike in the 80s, weren't they? Mm, mm, mm. Oh, it was great. Yeah, really good for us. And the band were really into us and they treated us really, really well. They were really, really nice guys. We were quite, you know, it's really good. Yeah, we got a good deal after that. Yeah. So when you did Europe, was that the first time when you were doing Europe with, you know, supporting Iggy Pop? We'd we'd done one. uh, there's a, a few dates before that. There's a few dates offered to us. It ended up being one. We did this crazy one-off in Hamburg, <laughs> which is all a bit, a bit, which was mad to do. Uh, ended up, yeah, a bit scary. But uh, then, and then uh, yeah, and then the first proper date we did, yeah, first tour was the Iggy Pop tour, which is for me just, I mean, a huge Iggy Pop fan. All the band were, yeah, we were so. Yeah, getting the uh, tour with Iggy was uh, brilliant. Yeah. because yes, he'd done Real Wild Child a few years before that, hadn't he? So this was probably, I can't remember what album this was, kind of he was promoting, actually. Uh, Instinct. Instinct, right. Did it have... It's kind of, it's kind of like his uh, sort of metal kind of one. I think Steve Jones played on the album. He didn't play on the tour, but on the tour it was... Uh, a guy from uh, Hanoi Rocks, Andy McCoy, McCoy, McCoy. Right. I just, I can remember seeing him around that time and he did, um, cold, there was a track called Cold Metal that seemed... That's to it, be, yeah, that's it, yeah, yeah. Was that Cold Metal, yeah. yeah. And there yeah, was this yeah. room about Steve Jones being on guitar, but, you know, but you, he definitely wasn't when you were playing. He played on the album, I think, but uh, he didn't play on the tour, no. It, it was Andy McCoy from Hanoi Rocks. Nice. Uh, who, who we... Uh, Quickly, Chris and Mr. Rock and Roll. He was just, <laughs> he, he was Mr. Total Rock and Roll, you know, like just uh, always always out of his head. Uh, always wondering how many women we'd shagged at the last tour, the last gig, you know what I mean? And the views when we said, no, we didn't, you know, and he's like, really? What's the matter with you guys? You didn't get fucked? <laughs> no, no. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You probably thought, what's the point? Why are you doing Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of funny when we were growing up, you know, bands used to get asked about, you know, why they're in, into the being on musicians. They'd often just say it was, it's just sex, drugs and rock and roll, which I realised now, well, about 10 years ago, someone probably said, don't keep saying that for Christ's sake. Mm-hmm. We, <laughs> you could be in prison for what we did back then, but thankfully no one had cell phones, so that was good. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, that was a great tour, great tour. I mean, yeah, yeah. Iggy was amazing as well. I, I think we did something like 18 shows, and I didn't see, like, the whole show every night, but I saw something every night, you know, sometimes the whole show and sometimes bits, but every night he was just absolutely going for it. Amazing guy. And then I've seen it, well, I saw him, what, five, six years ago when he did the Royal Power Probably less, I don't, I, I lose track of time now, but uh, yeah. the, the raw power kind of gigs. And yeah. he was exactly the same, just inc- he's incredible. He's a real phenomenon, uh, an amazing guy. Yes, physically incredible. I mean, just, um, but someone did say they they were a bit surprised when they met him because he was quite shorter than they expected. So, yeah, <laughs> he is short, he is quite short, yeah. A lot of, a lot of people are, aren't they? A lot of the, uh, I know when you see, uh, Photos like the Rolling Stones. Uh, Bill Wyman looks really, really like the tallest of them. Yeah. And then uh, I, I uh, after like the band finished, I did some uh, like uh, cream work at the local De Montfort Hall. And one one night I remember Bill Wyman, Bill Wyman's band, and he was the shortest then of this band. He, he's, he's a real, he's a real short ass. You know what I mean? And uh, <laughs> so yeah, very, Mick Jagger's a midget apparently, isn't he? Uh, no. Yeah. So well, is, is, is it midget not PC anymore? Is it? Can you God say knows. midget? Who, who knows know. what it is? I but um, I know, I know. Well, I know. I mean, just on that side, that that sort of subject. I mean, when someone said about how tall Prince was, and you're thinking, God, that would be weird. He would be so tiny, wouldn't he, if he walked? Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it would be like your brain would say, "Do not say, God, I didn't realize you were that short." But um, <laughs> but now he's not with us, so that doesn't that that, that no, embarrassing no. moment might not ever come up. Where we're no, no. So then, because because being doing doing this show for sort of quite a long time, most bands have this five year narrative. You know, they get together, they have that honeymoon period. The first single, great fun. Second, then probably 
you know, especially for the 80s, you know, got the John Peel session, which was good, or the John Peel play, then the session, first album, things going good. The second album's when things start to get a bit tricky. And if any band ever does kind of America, they always go, oh, we came back and broke up. But you did America in sort of, um, was that 89 you went to America and did a tour? Yeah, yeah. And how did you find that experience? Well, uh, me and the singer, Ian, had, uh, we went out, we went to tour in sort of, I think, November, no, October, November, I think. And we went out in the July and did a promotional tour. And there was kind of a, they said there was like a big buzz. Everything was going great, guys. I mean, you're going to, and then, I don't know, but it's a different world out there, isn't it? Because it's, it's very political. Uh, radio is a massive power. You know, you, you, if you're not on the playlist, you, you're nowhere kind of thing. You know, you can't. Mm. And uh, and then when it came to tour, it was like, should we tour or not? And we went ahead with it. They're saying, oh, it's not really probably a good time to go, but we did go. Uh, and it was a real mixed bag. New York was great. We played, uh, we kind of flew to the East Coast and played, started off in New York. Uh, and we played New York and uh, uh, New Jersey. They were great, really, really good. Did you play in Boston at all? Because I know a lot of bands seem to go yeah. to Boston. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We played, actually, yeah, it ties in with the Iggy thing. We played, uh, yeah, basically, yeah, we went to Boston. And we played the place where Iggy recorded the live album that was, uh, what's it called? Anyway, it's live in Boston, his live album was recorded at the same venue uh, from the same tour that we did. And uh, we played this venue, we turned up and it was a Friday night and it was an early show. And I said to the, I said to the uh, guy, I said, do you often have early shows here? And uh, he said, no, we don't very often. I said, what happened last time? He said, well, it was a complete disaster. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so we played this place that probably held a 1,000 people, could hold a 1,000 people. If I said there was 25, that's probably exaggerated. <laughs> so, yeah, so ours was a disaster as well. We kept the record, kept the record going, yeah, yeah. God, that's quite tricky, isn't it? That is quite tricky. Yeah. So a lot of it, a lot of, there was quite a few on the tour dates on the tour that were like that and uh so initially we were meant to play the uh you know the east coast kind of thing and then go to california and do the you know do the west coast and uh we kind of yeah we had some really good dates and some of it was just a waste of time you know why were we here you know we're playing to nobody so in the end we were kind of running out of funds and we uh between like people in uh, England and our tour manager and people, we had to decide whether to carry on or not. And uh, we came back rather than go to the West Coast. At the same time, our uh, our guitarist uh, carried on and went to the West Coast anyway to see his girlfriend at the time. And uh, it turns out that we've gone there. All the gigs was the gigs were sold out. We would have uh, it would been okay if we'd taken the risk and gone there, but we got. Uh, the wrong information. Oh no! Anyway, mm. anyway, yeah. So we, we we were booked to play the. I think we were booked to play the whiskey go go and things like that, which would have been all you know it would have been fantastic. But right. Yeah. So the, yeah, the New York was really good, and uh, some of it wasn't. Philadelphia wasn't. Boston wasn't. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. And then the Neptune West was Neptune was great. <laughs> We played a uh, played in a town called Neptune, right? Yeah, in New Jersey. So yeah, we we played Neptune. It's good, isn't it? So. Nice. And then you came and you did Red in Rock Festival, which must have been an ideal place for a band like you. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, it was really that was a really good. Yeah, that was a really good one. So how did you get this other gig then to play a festival in Moscow with the from the British Council? How did this sort of line up for you? Because it seems quite well, random. I've never actually come across this before. I know it's uh, what's the old cliche? You know, it's not what you know; it's who you know. Uh, this is a wonderful woman called Fizzle, 
who worked at our agency, uh, Station, called Station at the time. And uh, she had a really good friend who worked for the British Council, whose names escaped me, I'm afraid. And uh, whenever he, he wanted, uh, he didn't, he's really enthusiastic about music, but he didn't know much about music. So if he uh, needed to know, uh, or look, looking for bands for events, he'd ring Fizzle up. So anyway, uh, he rang Fizzle up and Fizzle said, oh, you know, you ought to have this band Crazy Head. So uh, we, went, <laughs> we went to this festival in uh, Moscow, which was brilliant to do. We stayed for five days in this uh, hotel. It's the ones you, you might, you know, the ones that look like Christmas cakes. Yes. There's, I think there's about four buildings. I think one's a hotel, one was, I don't know. So they're, they're different. Anyway, there's about four buildings that look the same. And one of them was a hotel. It was near the, near the White House, their version of the White yeah. House. We had five days there, and we and for that we we had to play a twenty minute set. On the five day, five days on one twenty minute set. Nice. Yeah. And did the crowd yeah. go for you? Was it? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah, it was. It was quite strange though because there was uh, bands from all over. We were kind of your representatives, but uh, there was bands from all over, as was then the, the Soviet Union, and. Uh, the uh, uh, so quite a lot of the other ones were other bands were miming. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and quite... kind of disco, probably. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know, these kind of like uh, ostensibly heavy metal bands were standing there giving it all this, and then uh, we actually realised that they weren't actually playing; they were just kind of uh, miming along to tracks. But we we played. Yeah, yeah. So then, on he said, on on a shiny like uh, you know those dance floors that have lights inside. Yes. The lights. It was Disco. actually, a, a, yeah, it was like that kind of thing. We played on a floor like that. Yeah. God, that must have been strange. I can remember yeah, slipping across to me uh, stiletto boots like for going flying. And then, and then, yes, sorry, yeah, and, and, and then, then you went down to South Nam. Um, South South Africa with another massive tour, didn't you? Uh, before no, before that, uh, Ceausescu was uh, assassinated when he uh, uh, December Christmas Day. Do you remember? No, I don't actually. God. Ceausescu, yeah, Romania. Ceausescu, right? Okay, yeah. So Ceausescu was uh, assassinated on Christmas Day in uh, Romania. Then the British Council organised this tour to, uh, uh, as the first tour after the you know after the revolution. I think it was in the February. Uh, it was us and a band called Skin Games and Jesus Jones. So we. Uh, we were, yeah, the first bands to play after the revolution in Romania. That was, and that was another, again through Fizzle. It was right. wonderful. <clears throat> and um, yes, crikey. No, I, I didn't, my, I'm not, not that good on my Romanian history, actually, am I? Yeah, so yeah, 1989, yeah. 1989. And that, and that was, that I was the... And what was the that, audience like for that? It was incredible. That's probably the... Most monumental thing we always sort of did, you know. In uh, we took we uh, well, say it was December the revolution, we turned up in February. We, we flew into Timisoara, where the where the kind of uh, if you like things kicked off, where the revolution still started. Our hotel room had bullet holes in the windows still, and things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And on the day we flew in, I think it was on the, the Sunday. We flew on the Saturday, but on the Sunday we we walked around as the day of the gig. There's like people with uh, it was like two months after it all kicks off, and there's uh, all these shrines and people sort of crying in the streets, and all these services going on in the church, and yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's an amazing thing to do. So we did Timisoara, and then we flew to uh, Bucharest, played there, and then we played in. Uh, Brashoff in, uh, in Transylvania, and I guess uh, that was done. There is actually a documentary you can see on. It was done on uh, 
it was BBC Two, and uh, I forget the name of the programme, but they sent a, a team out, and it, it was it was uh, covered on BBC Two. Right. It's like a half hour. There's half hour programme about it. Uh, yeah, so us, us Jesus Jones and Skin Games uh, did these gigs. Yeah, and they sent a, a crew out. Sorry, but I can't remember the name of the, the program. But uh, it is actually you can find it. It's, it's on. It's on. Uh, there's some clips on on YouTube. The, the, the whole the whole program's on somewhere. It's like a half hour program or something. Yeah, I will have to check that out. Actually. Yeah, yeah. But then you got. A- and then we came. And then we came back from that because it was amazing. Yeah, the, yeah. The audiences were brilliant. They, they didn't know who the hell we were at all. <laughs> Had no idea, you know. Uh, but they're very excited to see a rock band. Uh, they kept on asking about Iron Maiden. They had a real fixation with Iron Maiden. You know, do you know Iron Maiden? Uh, no, I mean, it's not my thing at all, really, but, or, or any of the rest of the band. Uh, but they were, you know, like, yeah, you're great. You're like Iron Maiden. No, actually, we're not like Iron Maiden. But anyway, but anyway, great. And uh, but they, uh, yeah, they loved it. It was, a, it was a brilliant thing to do. And then, uh, yeah, we came back and then, week or two later oh do you want to go to namibia (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right then we'll go to namibia that's great yeah so so your booking agent was absolutely fantastic for you wasn't she yeah 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 my god yeah yeah. yeah, um, was this the height of the band by the way it feels like you know you couldn't really you know probably was probably was yeah 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 i mean mean, by by that time we had been uh it was getting difficult with with food and that yeah, around that time. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So, food drops you, don't they? Yeah. Yes, that must have felt like quite a kick in the teeth, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, but then at the same time, you know, we'd had the sort of dance kind of when, you know, going back to my fantastic 80s period of. Indie pop sort of changed quite a lot in sort of 87, the Smiths split up, then Ecstasy comes along, that next generation of 16 to 18 year olds want something else. And, you know, obviously Rave was quite big, but then uh, there's, there's the sort of Seattle grunge scene that starts to kind of form as well. Did you sort of feel that you could have picked up on that? Because there were, you know, yourselves and people like My Bloody Valentine and the Faith Eaters and Silverfish and you know, bands like that, you know, and then you had the Levelers coming along. I know you don't sound like a lot of those bands, but there was a bit of an alternative festy scene, wasn't there, of slightly rock, kind of pretty crazy rock bands and combos happening at that point. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know, David. I don't know. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess there's our, you know, where we stood in terms of the band and then what, uh, things between us and the record label as well. It all got a bit. So when you recorded and started and released some kind of fever, which this was on Revolver Records, was yeah. that a feeling of? Um, did you feel that that was a kind of a tricky album to uh, record? Yeah, I mean, we we had this kind of uh, pressure from like food, if you like, to. Uh, to grow up, to sort of grow up and make some like proper music kind of thing, you know. So that was always uh, like throughout the album. So the, the stuff that we were turning out, they were, they were you know, sort of Balfour's tended to sort of criticise and say, oh, no, no. So we kind of like lost away in terms of, I think uh, me is sort of like, who was writing quite a lot of the stuff. I, I didn't know, you know, should I write what I want to write or should I do? No, follow what Balfour wants me to write, you know what I mean? All kind of thing, or, or you know, turn out hits and all, you know what I mean? Which I couldn't really do anyway, obviously. But, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we became neither here or there, I suppose, to some degree, I don't know. Yes. So was your, because you did a, a kind of a, a covers album which never got released, was that, was that the kind of low point of the band? It was uh, I don't know. We we, we had a re- we had a rehearsal studio which I, I turned into a little recording studio, and uh, we kind of started with. Oh, it's a long story, David. It's a long story. <laughs> what happened? But, uh, but uh, and, uh, 
we were going to like just knock a couple of tracks, you know, record a couple of tracks out for a, a, an EP or something just for a fun. And then we decided it could be like this album, you know, and we ended up doing it. But at the same time, the guy who had who owned the rehearsal studio, he uh, he kind of got his label to a, a deal with somebody else. I can't remember the name of the, the, the album. It was the, the Scumpups. You remember the Scumpups? No. They had an album out there on, the, on this on this label, uh, and, and this guy also looked after this band, the Scumpups. He was like the manager of the band. And so we, uh, so this thing that was going to be a couple of tracks became like an album and uh it's probably good it never saw the light of day anyway <laughs> can you remember what you recorded for it uh, uh did i'm the walrus uh i forget which we had the first couple of tracks we were going to do i think it was quite a good idea but then we say we had this Got, oh yes, do an album, and then it was like, well, what can we do? You know, I'd say well, I mean, the, 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 the initial ideas were better than other than the uh, <laughs> when it turned out to be. Yeah, I'm the Walrus. Uh, oh, uh, Sparks. What was it? Uh, number one all over heaven. Was it number one all over yeah. heaven? Uh, I can't remember the rest. No, it's a blur. Well, I don't want to remember the rest. Yes, it was painful. So did the band kind of have a moment and, and sort of call it a day at that stage? Yeah, we... we uh, was it before? Yeah. Uh, we did do a, a tour, like a... Somebody got in contact with us and uh, said about doing like a, a tour of Europe. And we went out and did that on our own. We done this, this tour in, in Europe which was a tour from hell. It really was. It was terrible. <laughs> in, and, uh, in, in what way was it? Well, this guy, this guy, a uh, German promoter, and it was put on to us by well, our, our drummer, Rob, Robbie Vom. You know, he's got a namesake, Vom, the drummer from, this with Dr. Nomadics, and, wow. uh, and Die Totenhausen. Die yes. Totenhausen, yeah. We've we seen him at a gig in Camden Palace, and uh, he said, you, oh, you guys ought to go out and go, and do, you know, go and play in Germany. You know, they love you out there. And he put us in touch with this uh, promoter called Rudiger. And uh, so, we, yeah, we got this tour together. We basically, a mate's van, it was one of these sort of, sort of cobbled together. We didn't have much money. Uh, uh, a lot of these dates were, were, yeah, some of it was all right. Some of it was great. I mean, Hamburg was really, really good. And uh, <laughs> yeah, so we, we basically struggled through this tour and then hobbled back to England. And that was kind of like about the end of it, really. Yes. Did you have a moment to say, to sort of give a bit of closure to the band? Or was it just the fact that you, you just all walked in opposite directions? Well, we, we kind of really sort of hung on longer than what we should have done, really. We just sort of like carry on doing odd bits and bobs and think we could do this. And I still have the studio, so we, we'd do some recording and sort of stuff, you know. And then uh, we, we got another guitarist then, uh, uh, Dick left, and we got this guy, guy called Pete, got Pete in. And we did like a mini album. Is that Grind? No, uh, that was the... That was the Canadian or American release of uh, some kind of fever, really. Right. That one was. And now it was uh, called uh, 13th Floor. It's like, it's about six tracks. And then you clear, and then you did your bit of a tidy up with Fuck by Rock, didn't you? Which was a, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. A collection of bits and pieces, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Just tidying up. So then did you tour again in about 87, um, 97? I don't think so. That was it. Well, well, we might have done. We might have done. Yeah, we might have done one. What? Yeah, we might. Yeah, I think we did a kind of tour. We did a couple of dates with the mission. Yeah, the mission. We did like yes. three, three or four dates with the mission around then. I think. And then and, you. Yeah, and then petered out and didn't do anything really. No, there you go. Until but... three years ago, or something. Four years ago. Four years ago. Did you then sort of? Spend life in music, doing other bits and pieces in the studio and working for other bands. Yeah, I did a bit of crew. Personally, I did some sort of crew work 
at the local tournament for all. And I, uh, and then uh, through the me and the drummer, Rob, they got me into doing uh, uh, like music therapy in mental health units. Right. Uh, and prisons. And then, uh, and then I ended up working the last, before I came out to Turkey, like two years ago, I spent 14 years uh, working, uh, doing music in special needs schools. Which is great. That's yes. There's, Probably there's, the best thing I've ever done. Yeah, absolutely. There was, there's quite a few musicians I've come across who've um, ended, you know, sort of, or I suppose took it as almost a, like a career. And um, yeah, did it, did it, you know, that was their, their way of sort of, I suppose, I don't know, getting a well, pension. Almost, yeah. As well as all, that, all that way of, all that experience of working with damaged people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, actually. And did you ever, because you did sort of form other little bands here and there along the way, didn't you? Or did you, was that kind of. Quite yeah. A... Yeah. Me and, me and uh, Rob, the drummer from Crazy Ed, and another guy, uh, Stu, we, we got this band called the Maranucci's. Yeah. We, we did a, a CD. We didn't really do anything with it really. We kind of it kind of flopped out. We print, pressed them up, and we didn't. Really, I don't think we even put it on Spotify. There's, there's, there's a couple of videos on a thing, right? Yeah. Yes. On YouTube. And then, then you reform again in 2000. This is 2017 for some gigs around the place, as well as the Indie Days Festival as well. So what was the, um, did you get the phone call? Was it one of those kind of almost Hollywood moments that the phone went and someone said, hey, we've been given an opportunity to do some gigs? It was, it, it was the Indie Days thing, really. It was the catalyst. Uh, uh, Alex, the bass player, he'd been, I think, the year before, I think this is true, all pretty legit. I think it's all the truth because obviously I'm talking about him. But he, he went to the Indie Days the year before with uh, the Gay Bikers. He went down to see them, and he was talking to Grant Holby, who's the promoter. Right. Indie Days, and and I think there the catalyst started. Well, yeah, why didn't he you know, see if you get crazy to come and play? And uh, yeah, then he rang around and talked to us, and we agreed to get back together you know, and do it. So, yeah, it was basically around the Indie Days thing. Uh, and before we did it, we thought, well, we ought to see, to try two or three, four gigs out before there to see if we can actually do it again. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, right. So we did that, did the show. Then after we'd done the show, we thought, well, we may as well carry on and uh, do some more. You know, so we carry on doing a few. We, we didn't want to kind of like flog it and just keep doing, you know, going up the motorway, you know, for, uh, just for the sake of it, but we tried to pick uh, gigs that we thought we'd enjoy. And uh, we did some really good ones. We did, yeah, the Indie Days thing, uh, Bearded Theory, that was fantastic. We did the Bearded Theory Festival, and that was really, really good. Yeah. Main stage there, yeah, yeah. And did you sort of find old fans and as well as new people coming out to see you? Yeah, the old, the old fans are fantastic. The first, the first gig we did was actually like a, where, where I, well, my house is still in Leicester, I've still got a house in Leicester, but there's a pub called The Donkey, which is uh, probably the the grandchild of the, of the Charlotte. It's a great place. It is. Uh, it's only about a few, uh, a few hundred yards from my house. <laughs> and I used to do the sound, I, I, was just, I did the sound at The Donkey as well. But uh, So our first gig was back at The Donkey, just down the road, and uh, it holds about 120, 150 people. It was rammed, and... It was just amazing to see these people that used to follow us, you know, in the, eight, in the late eighties. Yeah, all turned up there. Was, I know thirty of them, maybe. You know, diehard people who used to hitchhike up and down the motorway. You know, and of course, a lot of them uh, young girls at the time. Now they're like great women, you know, and seem after <laughs> all these years. Uh, you know, a lot they used to hitchhike everywhere. You know, and they kind of follow us, like yeah. Oh, it was great fantastic. to see them again. It must be yeah, quite yeah, nice. Yeah. And was it, oh, kind of, it was wonderful. And was it a good vibe? Was there a feeling for the band of, of some sort of form of, I don't know, completion or some sort of, actually, it's quite nice to get check in again after all those years before. Yeah. When, you know, just to, just to catch up. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was nice. Yeah. Um, uh, 
you know, I think when bands like fall apart, you know, there's usually sort of like lots of animosity and, you know, but we, we kind of, cleaners of the band, we all kind of decide, I think we all made a decision like, well, forget all that, we'll just get on with each other. You know what I mean? Let's, let's, let's enjoy it. And uh, the vibe between us was great. Yeah, and it was lovely seeing all the all the, all the people used to come and watch us again. Yeah, it was, yes. it was really nice. Absolutely, that is good. And then, so what made you think actually... Leicester, let's go to Turkey. What what was the kind of the reason for that move? Uh, what, 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 yeah, <laughs> that's one good reason. Uh, I'd had a house here for about me and my wife had a house here for about six years. Uh, it's like a summer house, I think, and I just got to that point of like thinking, oh, I want to do something else, and uh, well, I've got some you know really nice friends and you know relatives in in. England, uh, I think, you know, like you said, that when we started being in the army and traveling, you know, like uh, traveling around, uh, yeah. that in the army, I never really felt all that much attached to England all that way. And uh, there's quite a lot of things about England, not, not all that great, really. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I thought, well, let's try something different. For, for, uh, for uh, I'm not able to try something different. So I thought, I'd come try something different. And there you go. Yeah. And now you're hooked. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'd like to have been, like to have come back uh, before now because we've been here for about two years now. But uh, with the COVID thing, it's kind of impossible. I mean, I, you know, I can't afford at least was it? I think we have to pay like four thousand pounds on top of the airfares just to come back. Yeah, you know, staying in hotels and all the COVID tests and that's a PCR test. So at the moment, we're here. You know, we're here. I can't come back. You do. That's good. Enjoying life in in Turkey. Would um, if you were able to say something to a, like your 16, 18 year old self, starting out in music with all the experience you've had and and some of the wisdom you've gained, is there anything that you would have just kind of wanted to have whispered in their ear, even if they might have ignored you or just said, "Who cares, Granddad?" But you thought actually this is this is something that I would have done differently, or or things that you might have said actually that was a really good thing I did, and I'm glad I you know. I would definitely recommend that to anyone. Mm, gone. It's a bit deep though, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I, I think I did to some extent. I think I always said to myself, uh, enjoy it while you can. I think that's the main thing, isn't it? You know, I can remember, I can remember getting on the uh, plane to go and fly off to like tour with uh, Omniki tour. We were flying to Berlin the first day, and I thought, well. It's probably not going to get any better than this. So just enjoy it, you know. So. Yes. Did that all feel quite surreal? The the speed that happened with the band, you know, the way it developed so quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because it was really quick. Honest, yeah. It's yeah. I mean, it was quite a quick rise, and obviously playing some of those dates as well was, was quite impressive. I mean, because I think that's what happens with a lot of bands that I've, I've interviewed is that after about the second, I don't know, second, third albums and that kind of five years, often there's a sort of, a, you know, no one can see much of a future for the band as in a certain progression, you know, like, oh yes, that will be good. If we do this next, we'll move to the next level, which doesn't mean you're going to get bigger, but at least it will be interesting. Whereas actually, I think a few people go, God, we're just going to do the same thing again. And we're already getting a bit stressed with each other. And there's a bit of a lack of money that we're not even we're all still quite poor. And I yeah. think that's, that's the kind of thing that seems to finish most bands off, even though they've had this great body of work, you know, two or three albums, great tours and all that. There's just this kind of motivation to keep going to try and create something different or new is, is quite, is quite difficult, you know, and obviously not many people get there, but you, you're one of those people who had that experience, especially with those amazing tours, one-off tours around the world, which is fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I know. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, but it's uh, you know obviously it was quite. It's great the fact that so many of the band and 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 the other members have gone on to do other things, which is sort of sounds fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and with the COVID and the experience of this last year, has it been the case with, because I've noticed with a lot of bands, they've been sort of getting their archives sorted out. Is there much stuff that you want to get dusted down and sorted out you know, in the next couple of years, whether it's kind of stuff on the website or 
making a film or anything like that? Uh, I don't know. Uh, we were, I, were, I mean, last year, I were, was it last year? I get, I get, I get lose track now. Yeah, we were planning to do some gigs last year. I was going to come back and do, do some gigs. And uh, I've got a lot of the sort of stuff. I've got a lot of stuff on my computer at home, which I can't access because I thought I'd be back by now and uh, I'd sort it. So I was going to do something like that. But uh, at the moment, it's sitting around my sister's house. Right. So uh, uh, I think uh, Alex, uh, baseball, I think he's uh, doing some stuff. I think he's revamping some more videos or something. And uh, Yes. Hopefully we'll get to play next year. Yes, well, that's good. Oh, so you do have plans just to occasionally dust down the instrument and just go, that's it, let's do it, go and do it. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Have you ever been tempted then, just lastly, to record any new material? Yeah, we, we did a... Uh, well, we did play, like, a new song on a, when, we, when we played... Uh, what was it, two years ago now? Probably, I would say. Yeah. Let's go for 2019. Yeah, <laughs> completely lost you know, track of time. Yeah, okay, yeah, we did do it. You know, it was the lost year. And, uh, and, I, and uh, there was a couple of uh, things that were kind of embryonic that I've kind of uh, brought, that I've been working on here. Uh, and that, like, so we, we might do. I, I don't never say no. I think they never say no, you know, we might do. No, absolutely. Yeah. It'd, be not, it'd, be not, it'd be nice to. I, I like to, yeah. Yes. Did you keep your recording? You, that wasn't your studio then. You were working in the studio. I had a studio for a while. Yeah, yeah. Did you? Yeah, because Dave. Uh, I did. Uh, I did. Uh, yeah, it was a, like a local studio. I did some funny things. Though. I, uh, there was a guy who were uh, at the local radio station, Radio Leicester, and uh, he was aware of my studio, and he. Uh, he thought rather than like when were bands do these like sort of tours, when they do the tours, they come in you know, with acoustic guitars. Oh, you're playing tonight, aren't you? The Charlotte, you know what I mean? Kind of thing like that. Yeah. yeah. He, he thought, oh, why not get them to go? Because my studio's so cheap. He said, why, you know, why not get them to go to, to Kev's studio and uh, record like a, a proper kind of session? So, uh, so I used to, rec- I did things like uh, I did Reef, uh, The Stranglers. Three colours red. Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, things like that. So I used to do these uh, radio stations in my studio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. On, on the cheap, on the, on the real cheap frame. You know, I mean, I've, I've got my master tapes of some of that. Oh, like, Ian McNabb. Yeah, that was another one. Uh, who else did I do? Yeah, I did a few. Yeah, I did a few things. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Uh, and then uh, I think we did uh, track on a, a corner shop album. Uh, yeah, there's a few things we did at the studio anyway, yeah, yeah. Oh, I can see. And did you ever work with Bill Drummond as well? Yeah, 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 I did, yeah, yeah. What was that project? We kind of knew Bill through, you know, the, the food, Balf kind of thing. We kind of bumped into him, you know, uh, in Kellerman. Uh, uh, sorry, oh, God, God. Marty Kellerman, Marty Kellerman even. Oh, my... mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, so through the cope kind of thing, we got to know basically new Bill, and then uh, when would it be? Uh, early two thousands, maybe. He, uh, I forget how I got in contact. He had this idea of uh, where did it start? Ah, oh, yeah, I know where it started, yeah. He, uh, he'd filmed, he's uh, in a, a video of his Land Rover driving between Hull and Liverpool down the M62. And, uh, yeah, literally he just filmed his, his Land Rover going down for this, this film, this video. And then he said, that he's, he got in contact with me, he said the sound wasn't very good on the video. Uh, could I go, could I go with him? Could we uh, join him going on in his Land Rover from Hull to Liverpool? And record it. I mean, you couldn't just record the sound of the Land Rover anyway, couldn't you? It make any difference. You know what I mean, it's not going to be the same because I saw a bit of the video and it's raining sometimes and stuff like that. But anyway, so uh, we, we go we go to Liverpool, we go to Hull, and 
and I put his mics in his Land Rover with a mini disc recorder and I record his Land Rover driving between there and in Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then so yeah, and then then he had his then when he listened to it, he was he was saying that because he one of the things he was saying he said he could the sound of the engine you can hear like a choir within the sound of the engine, and then he and he he's saying like uh, something like I could but not any choir I can hear a male voice choir in in the uh, in the engine they're all singing in C they're all singing in C so all right okay well yeah and then. He, and then he had this idea of uh, of actually singing along, uh, almost uh, scat singing, basically sing along to the sound of the engine. So uh, we, we did a couple of things where we just took it took it in turns, and basically for two hours, because <laughs> it's like two hours, two hour recording, of just singing. Um, along with the engine and we did that we did quite a lot of multi-tracking of like getting people in and I, kind of, I thought well if we get, you get all this weird interaction so some people go from one that's going to so we ended up doing a, a, a nighttime session and, and he named this the 17 this thing was called the 17 right and then uh, so basically I got 17 of my friends in well 15 it was me and Bill as well uh, 17 of us, uh, and I had, the, I had the sound of the engine coming out these speakers, and basically we improvised. Yeah, there, there was no remit; you could just basically do what you like, you know. And people just uh, along to the sound of the engine for two hours. We did have a break halfway through. I can't, I can't say we did the whole thing. We did like we did an hour. A little refreshment, and then carried on for another hour. So that, yeah. So, yeah, we sang along to <laughs> so to his Land Rover engine. <laughs> wow. Excellent. I have to say that is um, art. I do remember there was somebody I interviewed, and um, I can't. I think it was like they were working on on this idea of a ley line, and they would just kind of knock on someone's door if they were on this ley line, and then go and cook them a meal, and then play them some music, and then this guy. Oh God, I wish I could remember who it was now. But he said, he gave Bill, you know, a copy of his CD and Bill said, this year I'm only going to be playing records by artists beginning with the letter B. And it was a bit yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, that's quite lucky. This is B. And he said, oh, that. and he really would have just spent the whole year just listening to any yeah, 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 yeah. artists or bands. I thought, God, that's quite... That's quite I haven't spoken to him a long, long time, actually. I was trying to get back in contact with him. I haven't spoken to him a long, long time. You know what I mean? But, uh, yeah, I, did, I did that and I did a few other things. He did, uh, yeah, interesting. I mean, incredibly interesting guy. Yeah, yeah. Yes, quite. Right. <laughs> well, look, Kevin, thank you ever so but, much. This has been brilliant. I hope you got something. I hope you got something worthwhile. Yeah. I did uh, indeed. I did. So, um, massive thank you. That was Kev from Crazy Head, and uh, a huge thank you for giving me the time for that in- interview. This has been the C eighty six show. I'm David Eastor. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter. Instagram, just do C86 Show. All these interesting interviews have been archived on Spotify, iTunes and Podbean. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.